You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Morag, the lucky devil, is uh, out in Houston and having a great old time uh, working with a client. They're doing some work around building relationships, which is one of the key factors that we have in our book, Future Proof Workplace, where we talk about the six key factors that organizations need to focus on in order to thrive today for tomorrow. And one of them is diversity. You know, we've talked a lot about diversity in the latter part of the 20th century and done a lot of work around it. Um, It's so interesting. A lot of money was poured into the diversity money pit, uh, as uh, my guest is going to be talking about shortly. In fact, I ran uh, diversity for Hewlett Packard worldwide and uh, also did a lot of work at uh, Payne Weber and New York State government and uh, GE, many other companies around diversity. And as I started doing that work, I began to realize because we put in place every program that you could think of in order to increase the number of women and uh people of color at the higher echelons of the organization. We did mentoring. We did training programs. We did some talent management focus. We did Six Sigma projects around you know, slates and hiring and making sure that every slate had a, had a, a diverse candidate on it. And yes, it did some good. I will tell you at HP where we focused heavily on building diversity into our talent management process, we did increase the number of women from um, lower level professional positions into uh, higher level professional positions. But we were woeful in the area of um, more seniors, senior vice presidents, vice presidents, and uh, on the board, the top of the house. Though we did have a number of women at the executive committee, it dropped severely when you got to the senior vice president level and the vice president level. And in fact, I would argue with you, I don't have to argue with you, actually, the facts speak for themselves, that most companies reflect that view. Now, You know, it's very interesting because you walk into any workplace today and just about 50% of that workplace, if not more, depending upon the profession, um, have women. And they just get, and, and people of color, and they just get to a certain level and then it trails off. And it's our view and our research that Morag and I did that a lot of this is rooted in unconscious bias. And I think we're seeing in the today's world, unfortunately, that a lot of, in this case, not so unconscious bias is 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 coming out um, against people who are different. And the world is made up of people who are different. There is nobody who's really uh, just like 
everyone else. I mean, we're all different in thought, in religion, in background, in upbringing. Some of it's obvious uh, from from color and, and, and looks, and others not so obvious. I think it's an incredibly an important issue. And companies who are especially going to be global companies and who especially need to attract a workforce that is over 45% millennial. By the way, the most globally diverse um, group of workers that has ever hit the workforce um, since there have been workers. We have to start thinking about how do we create inclusive workplaces that make allow people to contribute to their fullest and have a sense of belonging, feeling like they really are supposed to be where they are. And if we're not doing that kind of thing, there's huge economic consequences. So this is why Morag and I personally decided to invite um, Richard Nesbitt. Richard wrote, along with his co-author, Barbara Annis, a really incredible book. It's called Results at the Top. And what I happen to love about this book is it's speaking not only to everyone, but it's speaking in particular to men. And it's speaking to men because, let's face it, at the top of just about any organization, including teaching, which is 80% female, the tops of those professions are male. So I have today with me Richard Nesbitt, um, author of Results at the Top, He's president and CEO of global of the Global Risk Institute. He's also the adjunct professor at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, chair of the advisory board of the Brain of the Mind Brain Behavior Hive at the same university. I love that expression. That's very cool. Well known uh, in financial services, serves on a lot of community and corporate boards. Uh, He was uh, the chief operating officer, and he talks a lot about this experience in his book, Uh, chief operating officer at CIBC, a a very big bank in uh, Canada. He received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for medal. easy for me to say, for community service and the Ann Arbor Award from the University of Toronto for his work with the schools. So I'm very excited to have Richard. And thanks for joining us, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's great to have you. So, so tell me something. What possessed? Uh, first of all, I love the way your book is written, and uh, if anybody hasn't gotten a copy of it, they really ought to. Along with the copy of our book, Future Proof Workplace. But, Richard, tell me, why did you and Barbara um, embark on this on on the writing of this book? Well, uh, I've known Barbara for about 25 years uh, through my work where she came in uh, when I was much younger, and and I guess she was too, to uh, talk about uh, this topic uh, back in the, I guess, the early days of it being uh, considered important in in the corporate world. So we've kept in touch since then, um, but really it came about through my retirement from the bank, from CIBC. And I had uh, been given an award by the Women in Capital Markets here in Canada uh, called the Visionary Award. And it was, uh, I guess, a um, a recognition of the work I had done over my career to really advance the cause 
of improving our workplace by having women at all levels of management throughout the organization. So as soon as I retired, people said, well, you got to put your ideas down on paper. And so I partnered up with Barbara and we uh, created the book Results at the Top. And why did you focus in on men? Well, uh, first of all, uh, you can probably tell that I'm a man. No kidding. I don't feel it's my job to tell women how to how to conduct themselves. And I think women are doing just a fantastic job of getting education and experience and conducting themselves in a way to earn their rights uh, to uh, participate fully in corporate life. Uh, what I think is the key here is to uh, for to make more uh, rapid progress is to engage men. And men run organi- most organizations. Uh, only five to six percent of uh, S&P 500 companies are uh, the CEO is a, is a woman. Only five to six percent, so 95 percent are men. Most senior management are men, and most board directors are men. And so, if we're going to change this issue, and we should change it, because it will improve your company. We should change it. If we're going to change it, we've got to get men engaged in the solution. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting, and and I you know I know because I've been in this this field for a long time that you know we always were making the business case for diversity. You know your customers are diverse. Your, you know the the workforce is diverse. Women make the most of the, the largest buying decisions. You know for any family, blah blah blah, and that's been around for a long time. But tell me, how does gender diversity at the top, from your research? correlate with better business results and better financial performance? Well, the, the, the items you mentioned are all, uh, I would call those more qualitative items, things we know, but there's really, um, it's, it's hard to necessarily uh, be convinced that those necessarily are cause and effect. Right. There's a lot of research that's happened over the last 10 years, though, that has, has proven that addition of women to boards of directors and addition of women to senior management teams will improve the financial performance of companies almost immediately. So, for example, if you take a, a company with a board of directors of only men, it's been the research proves that you add one woman to that board the the financial performance of that company in the future will will uh, improve, and it's amazing actually. And it's I call it a zero cost way to get significant improvement in your company. And we're not talking like it's going to improve by one dollar. It's going to improve by between five and fifteen percent your financial performance. So just your dollars and cents uh, will improve by going from uh, a male dominated board. To one that is balanced, to one that is more balanced. And why do you think that is? What's 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 the research say? Why why does that happen? Yeah. Well, look, we all know that if you have a group of men, uh, uh, look, they behave in a certain way. And uh, as a re- uh, uh, when you but when you introduce women into that equation, things start to change. Okay. They have uh, uh, women ask more questions. There's some research that shows women ask more questions. By women asking more questions, it causes the men to ask more questions. Uh, the discussion will go on longer when you introduce women in because it's not the old boys network of well, let's just let Joe whatever do whatever he wants. They will question. 
what's what's happening. Uh, and uh, there's a, some other great research that shows that in times of crisis, women play an even bigger role in solving, helping the crisis for the company. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics that causes not only introducing women to improve the dynamics of a board or a senior management team, but it also causes the men to up their game as well. So the entire uh, uh, governance process improves. Yeah, uh, you know, I I think of some companies that have had women on their on their boards, and um, you know, I'm sure there's always those downsides. I'm by that I mean I'm sure though there are always uh, those outliers where it's not been the case, um, where where the boards really have not been that effective, and the company has really not done that great. But right. by and large, you're saying that that they really do uh, change the dynamic. Um, you talk a little bit, a lot about the differences between men and women. Can you, you know, there have been a lot that says uh, women and men have been the same, and that's been debunked a lot. In fact, you debunked that a lot in, in your book. Talk to me a little bit about the differences that you've found between men and women. Well, yeah, the uh, you know, I think if you go back into when I was much younger, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, there was sort of a general view, wait a minute here, men and women are the same, uh, and that's why uh, they should be treated, both men and women should be treated equally. The fact is men and women are not the same, okay? And and we know that now. Uh, we know that their experiences are different. We know that their upbringings are different. We even know their education is different because pretty soon uh, 60% of the graduates of universities are going to be women. So it's actually we're seeing more and more women being the educated class versus men. So there's there's a lot of differences, but more fundamentally than that, uh, the science in the last uh, decade has shown that the brains of men and women are quite different. And as a result, not only their experiences and their upbringing and their education are different, but the entire way their brain is wired and the way they think and process information is different. And it's the putting those two process, those two different ways of addressing things together that causes the improvement. So, uh, because if you have only men, you have one way of solving a problem. If you have only women, you have one way of solving a problem, perhaps. If you put them together, yes, maybe it's going to increase some level of conflict, but you're going to come to a better solution. And we can't let uh, single examples where uh, well, somebody will say, well, you know, we put a woman in charge of this company and it didn't turn it around. Well, how many men did you put in charge of companies and you didn't turn it around? So, <laughs> right. Single you can example, name a lot of those. Yeah, exactly. Single examples don't mean anything. It, the, but the, the, the results across a, a wide number of companies show that that combination of the two will improve results. And it's fundamental that we understand that men and women are different and that gets into things like how you manage people and how you need to train men on how to manage women uh, and, and, and how to tra train women how to manage men. It, it, you know, this idea that we're all the same and all deserve to be treated the same isn't correct. It's not going to lead to the optimal, optimal outcome. Yeah, I mean that that leads to another question. I mean, we've we've all read and uh, and and know in, in in the news and in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, that there are a lot of women that are 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 actually STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, but yet, when they get into these companies, they can't get anywhere in them, and they and they drop out. 
you also point out that women are, and, and you go into a, a fair amount of statistics on this in your book, where women are uh, exceeding men and on most educational levels. They get to a certain point and they leave. So what do we do about that? What what are they doing? Where are they going? And why are they leaving? Yeah, so it's not only in uh, the technology companies that it's happening. No, it happens it's not. Pr- pretty much in every industry. I know banking the best because that's where I work. So we would be very uh, adamant uh, in the last uh, 10 years that we want to recruit from universities and we want to recruit balanced uh, on a gender basis. So we want as close to 50-50 as we can get uh, when we bring them in. And we were, we were achieving, you know, 45% women to 55% men quite regularly uh, in our new intake. Uh, but by the time 10 years goes by, right. you, have far, you have what's called, a, a McKinsey called the leaky pipe. And so... Um, uh, you start to lose more women than you're losing men. And by the time you get to 10 years, when you're trying to promote people into a managing director position, you have you know less than 20% of the, of the population is women. And therefore, you, have the, uh, you can't promote uh, an equal number of managing directors. So the problem starts right at the beginning of the intake. And, and really, there's been some great work done uh, by groups like the Women in Capital Markets to show that women aren't leaving because they're going off and having a baby. That has right. nothing to do with it. Correct. They, go off for, they go off for a year, they have a baby, they go off for a year, then they, but they don't come back. That's the problem. And the problem is they don't feel valued. If you look at what they will tell you, the, these, these people will tell you throughout the five to 10 years of their career, the men feel valued in the organization the women do not feel valued in the organization. Now, one thing that's very interesting is who are they reporting to? Well, mostly men, right? Most of these people are reporting to men because men dominate. And men don't know how to manage women as well as they manage men because they've never been trained. So I think a big problem uh, to help solve this problem is training for our management teams who are, who are largely men who need to understand how to get the most out of all their employees and they need to know how to retain, uh, do the things that are necessary to, for that the women who are coming up through the organization feel valued. For example, I would say, uh, how many when a woman went on maternity leave, well, how many times did you call them? How many times did you actually communicate with them while they were on maternity leave? How many times did you show them that you wanted them back? Right. And these are Just, great point, Richard. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick this right up. Uh, we're going to have a break. Stay with us. We're talking to Richard Nesbitt, and we're talking about diversity and how to increase women in the senior ranks of organizations. Uh, We're specifically going to be talking about the role of culture and how you break the, 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 the culture that we've had in the past and what you can do differently. So stay with us. We're talking to Richard Nesbitt. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. 
Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Hi, welcome back. I'm talking to Richard Nesbitt, a professor and author of uh, Results at the Top, Using Gender Intelligence to Create Great Breakthrough growth. And Richard, we were talking about really, you know, how you train men and how you train women to interact better together. And I want to talk to you about the role that culture plays in all of this. So, so let's talk about, you know, how you structure your training and, and, you know, what you do to attract women back who've left and decided never to come back. Well, I think if they've decided never come back, it's probably, unfortunately, a bit too late. Uh, yeah. Because, look, if they're talented, there's all sorts of other opportunities for them to pursue. But so you got to get them before they get to that point. Um, and so what I would say always it starts with the, uh, what is the cliche, but it's true tone from the top. And so if you have a CEO that uh, that clearly by their behavior. Uh, does not indicate that this is an important issue, you, you are really swimming upstream for the rest of the organization. Uh, uh, now, you can't go by what people say because nobody today is going to say they're against uh, promoting gender diversity within the workplace. Nobody's going to say that ever, right? Uh, well, I don't know. People are saying a lot of things these days that I have to thought <laughs> well, they'd I, say. I, I don't get into that because I'm a Canadian, so I right. stay out of that. So, uh, but, but nobody's going to say it because everybody's politically correct. And, but you, so you have, to, you have to judge people by their behavior. So do, does the CEO do anything? Does, do they make public statements on this topic? Do they measure? Do they have hard targets on this? On the uh, as uh, up through the le- various levels of the organization, do they report on these targets and how well they're doing or not doing? Uh, I think that it starts with the CEO and the way the tone they set for the organization, and that's what uh, groups like the Thirty Percent Club are doing, which is, a, which is a group that is promoting having at least 30% of your board women, uh, uh, and they set, hard tar- they set targets to achieve that, and they've done a lot of great work. And so there are a lot of CEOs now who do believe this and who are uh, acting that way. And so, uh, but you have to have that as sort of a minimum condition uh, to, have, to get the culture working in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that strategy, though, not to be a devil's advocate, but, you know, we've used quotas in the past. Okay, so you have to have 30% or you have to have, you know, 50%. Why does it work now? Well, quotas don't work. Okay, quotas, uh, we're clear in the book. And if you look at the experience they've had in places like Norway, where they did impose uh, 40% quota on boards in uh, for public companies in Norway. Well, half the companies delisted from the stock exchange. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't want to be told what to do. Quotas, I believe, and many others believe, are demeaning to everyone. In other words, you don't know if you get on a board whether you're put on because of the quota or because of your talent. Right. Okay. So, so quotas don't work. Um, now, I'm not saying. You, you would never it's been have my quotas. experience too, Richard. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm not I'm not arguing yeah. with that at all. But, I, but I, what, I agree with you. Okay, but what I'm saying is hard targets do work, and those hard targets should be set by the CEO. And and I 
uh, definitely had hard targets for my management teams to achieve, and there was there was it was built into their evaluation system and into their compensation. And, yeah. and I know a number of other organizations that do the same, and that is the way to um, to achieve results. And by the way. Uh, we need to achieve results because if we don't, well, the danger is the government declares it a market failure. In other words, why isn't this happening faster? And they say there's a there's a market failure, and then the government comes in and imposes legislation and quotas, which will actually be counterproductive to everybody. Right. So right. my view is, and that's not the reason you should do this. You should do this because it's going to make your company better. Right. But we sure don't want we sure don't want uh, government coming in and legislating this because that's not going to solve anybody's problem. Right. But what is the difference, honestly? And and I know a lot of people ask me this because, uh, you know, we've had quotas here in the United States. It's kind of in a way it's gone by the wayside. But what is the difference between saying you have to have uh, X percent diverse talent uh, and that's a quota in a way and setting a hard target of saying, 30% of your board, well, I, well, the company itself is mandating that, and many companies have. What is the difference, and why is that psychologically so significant? Well, I think it gets down to whether you believe in markets or not, and whether you believe in people are able to op, uh, manage their companies uh, effectively better than government telling them what to do. Right. I yeah. believe, of course, I believe that I'm a I'm a banker and a stock. Mo I used to run the stock market here in Toronto. And uh, so I believe markets are the most effective way of managing economies and, and ultimately uh, uh, allocating resources in an economy. And so uh, what we want to do is we want to create an environment where people are incented to go and uh, do this, uh, uh, improve their companies by embracing diversity. And as soon as they believe that, they'll go off and do it. I guarantee yeah. you, as soon as men believe that, they'll be the first ones to go and do it. So what it really demonstrates to you today that, uh, that while there are a, a, you know, a significant group of people in the 30% club that do believe that that's true, most people do not believe that is true. Most men do not believe that is true. Otherwise, why are only 20% of boards uh, women today? Right. Right. So, I mean, I think it's a it, it's an interesting thing because a lot of people say, well, I can't find, you know, good talent or I can't find women of color that really are up to snuff. And, you know, it's sort of that mini me syndrome. If they're not just like me, well, I kind of don't think they're as good. So how yeah, do you well, deal with that? Right. So. So I get that all the time. I know. <laughs> well, Richard, uh, uh, you know, we just had an opening for a board member and, you know, we couldn't find any good women. So my answer to that is always this. And when did you start looking for, for those women? And by the way, when did you know you were going to, uh, given you have term limits on your board that don't allow anybody to sit for more than 15 years on your board, you actually knew 15 years ago that this was coming up, Right. So when did you start developing your database of qualified women to sit on this board? Well, well, we started two months ago. Well, okay, fine. You know, like clearly you're not managing the process very well. And it's your own fault. And because you really don't want to do it, that's, that tells you what that is. They really don't believe and they don't want to do it. So, so that is uh, that statement that we can't find qualified women is actually an indication, a uh, very clear indication, that the, 
the, uh, those people who say that just don't believe and don't intend to do anything about it. The ones that do believe will have started a long time ago to create a database of uh, qualified women and to, and to make sure that within their organization they have women coming up through the organization at all levels that are immediately available for promotion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's absolutely true. You know, it's so interesting that you say this because we all know that Uber is looking for a new CEO. And so they started out, I'm sure you've been following Uber, and they started out saying they had to, they wanted a women, woman CEO and they uh, exhausted their list. Many, and, and truly many women refused, like Meg, Meg uh, Whitman at, at HP and uh, Marissa at Yahoo and, and uh, you know, others. But um, so now they have a short list of white men. Well, yeah, yeah. Can I just comment on that? You have to. Yeah. There is there is a, uh, a phenomena that when companies get into trouble, they will often go and seek a woman to put in as the new leader. Right. You talk now, about the, that. Now the problem with that is, of course, the, there there is a higher probability that whoever the leader is will fail in the, that assignment. In other words, women are being picked and put into companies that are destined to fail uh, or situations where they're destined to fail. And therefore, and then they do, if they do fail, then people conclude, well, you know, she couldn't do it because she was a woman. It's crap. It's, 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 a, it's a ridiculous argument. Uh, you, put, you, put, you, took, you picked a new leader who's probably just fine and put him in a situation where the probability they were failed was much higher than a normal situation. And that's what you have at Uber, I think. So I think that, uh, that uh, interesting that they couldn't find anybody that was interested, uh, which is maybe well, I think that was part of it, really. Yeah, that, that they yeah. Could, but, you, you know, know, be careful what we wish for because, you, you know, you really – uh, the probability of the next leader uh, has a higher probability of failing because of what they're inheriting and because right. of the dynamics of what they're inheriting. So we have to be careful with saying that women will come in and be able to magically solve every problem. Uh, that's not what our book is saying. Our book is saying that, you know, if that board had have been uh, a, a more diverse board with a, a, a better uh, had paid, paid more attention to the type of people that were on the board and the diversity of people on the board, they would have they would have never gotten themselves to this situation. Right. And so I think what I hear you saying is, you know, you've got to be proactive in this situation. And if you do have women on your board and you have women in the senior ranks, they know who the pool of potential talent is and can be cultivating them. And another strategy I have always said to uh, leaders that, that I've worked with is, you know, when you, you you should always have a short list, no matter where you are, whenever you're traveling of of women diverse talent that you want to just get to know, you know, go out and have dinner with, just talk to whether they work for your company or not, because this is a way for you to build relationships. And when the opportunity comes up, you have a ready list of talent that already trust you that you can talk to for that open, for those open positions. So I don't understand why people don't do that more, but, and some do do it very successfully. Yeah, some do, and and that is best practice. That yeah. you should have, uh, and we're talking large corporations. We're not right. talking uh, little mom and pop stores, right? We're talking large companies. You have public companies. Uh, you should have ready and way available a succession plan for every 
important position. And that session plan should include a diverse group of candidates, women and men. And uh, you should not be uh, scrambling uh, to find a person to have to replace somebody in an emergency. You should actually know, well, okay, that person goes, we bring in this person. And right. that group should be a diverse group. And you should have spent the time planning that succession yep. well in advance of ever needing it. Right. Uh, and that's that's best practice. Right. Right. So we just talked about a best practice, but, you know, you go through in your book, what are the not best practices? And you list out quite a number of them. I, I think I talked about them at the top of the show, but give me so so people know what are the things that just don't work? Well, uh, 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 generally, um, organizations that uh, talk but don't act does not work. So in other words, you know, you can have all of the, the, the great statements on your website or, you know, in your slogan, but if you don't act on those things, those, uh, those statements and show your behavior is working towards achieving that, then, um, you're not going to be effective. Uh, there's other things that have been found to be quite ineffective. For example, mentoring, Arrangements. Yeah. Mentoring is good because it provides advice, but don't expect that to solve any problems. You know, it's good to be mentored by people. The thing that promo- uh, that uh, works is sponsorship, and sponsorship means the person sponsoring another individual is taking risk. It's putting their their own reputation online to help move that person forward. That's sponsorship. That's very effective. I, in my career, I had a number of different sponsors, both men and women, who were prepared to say that I believe in this person and they should get this next role. Uh, so the sponsorship really works, and we need more sponsors. Uh, and we, those sponsors need to be men sponsoring women. Yeah, well, great Great answer. Great conversation. Uh, Stay with us. We're taking a quick break. We're talking to Richard Nesbitt, uh, author of Results at the Top, Using Gender Intelligence to Create Breakthrough Growth. We'll be talking about millennials and uh, what you should be doing uh, to drive diversity and the impact that it's going to have. So stay with us. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. We're talking about diversity, and really, the 40 years that we've been focusing on diversity in the workplace has yielded really not significant results. Uh, in our book, Future Proof Workplace, Morag and I talk about the role of unconscious bias and the role of negative and positive stereotypes. And personally, I don't think that you can get around that. Um, women have been told a lot of things and a context in which their brain gets shaped. Oh, women don't do this, or women can't do that, or you know, don't challenge somebody, or or let the man win. Uh, those are just ones I'm making up, but a lot of those positive and ne- negative stereotypes have been told to people, like 
men. And you said it earlier, Richard. Oh, you know, they, she's just going to come work. And, you know, as soon as she gets ready to have a baby, she's, you know, she's never going to come back. and Or she'll never move. Or her husband won't let her, you know, travel. Or all of these unconscious stereotypes that come out before people even realize it and preclude uh, women and others from being selected uh, to higher level positions. What role do you think that this plays in the whole decision-making process? Yeah, I think it's it's an important issue that um, I, quite honestly, have to spend, uh, even though I've done all this research, I still have to s sit down some days and think, why am I thinking this way? Uh, is that an unconscious bias? So unconscious bias is part of the human experience, right? Yeah. Like, and I, I've had to fight it, uh, quite honestly, because let's face it, you mentioned it, like we just like to hire people that are like us, right? Like, you know, yeah. wouldn't the world be great if everybody was like me? Well, the, the truth is, no, it wouldn't actually. It'd be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not, but that is the human uh, psyche. So uh, I would say that uh, I'm a little more charitable to, to, to men than to uh, say that... Um, they can't get there. I think there's a group of men today that are very strong advocates uh, of uh, diversity and are, are actually sponsoring and doing the things necessary to change their companies. And, 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 and Barbara and I think that that's somewhere 20 to 30 percent of men. Uh, we also think there's another group on the far extreme that doesn't care, doesn't want to get it, don't intend to get it, don't intend to do anything about it. Uh, but then the biggest group is the group in the middle, okay? The group in the middle are what I, the way I used to be until I was about 40 years old, which was, yeah, I got no problems with this, but it's not my problem, right? Yeah, like you I weren't out front advocating. Yeah, like, oh, hey, you know, you want to get ahead? Go, go for it. I got my own problems. I'm trying to move ahead too. So, so uh, uh, you know, uh, it's not my problem. Maybe somebody else will take care of it. Good luck to you. And so... That's the bulk of men, I think. Most men say, well, it's not a bad idea to, you know, women should be, uh, have equal opportunity. Women should be more represented in the workplace, but it's not my problem, right? And so what we need to convince that group of men, yes, it is your problem because your organization is not producing and performing at its, the way it should perform because this situation exists. And, and you can by bringing in uh, more women at all different levels in the organization and management, you will improve the financial performance of your company. So isn't that your job to improve the financial performance of your company? So it is your problem. You can't pass it off onto the HR department or somebody like that. Right. You know, it's so interesting that you say that. And I really want to be clear. I have had a very fortunate career in that I sat at the top of the house with, with, with uh, men and, and a lot of fortune you know, 50 companies. And yeah, I didn't get there uh, without having sponsors. And I had some great sponsors. And I had that fortunate 20% or 30% uh, who who really did believe, who had daughters, uh, who had wives that were working, uh, who, who A, believed in education, believed in, in moving people forward. And, uh, you know, I, I was managed to get a PhD because of that, which I think was... Um, 
So I give a lot of credit to where I sit today uh, to to men advocates. So there are a lot of men out there that do think that this is really important. But I will say this, Richard, <laughs> I was doing a seminar in Germany and um, it was so fascinating. And you talk about Germany actually in your book, but uh, that, that um, they were just adamant um, could not seem to break through the idea that that women could uh, or should have higher level positions. And what do you do when you when you have that kind of entrenched uh, belief process? Well, what they've done in Germany, of course, is Angela Merkel has uh, her government has brought in quotas. Right. And and now 30 percent of boards uh, are going to have to be uh, women. Right. And so that's what happens when you have the entrenched attitudes and and uh, when she brought it in, there was a there was a, a great quote in uh, from one of the major uh, uh, German corporations that said, "Oh, we're kind of surprised by this because we thought this was just a fad that was going to go away." Now yeah. this was in, this was two years ago, right? Right, like this wasn't Shocking. something that happened fifty years ago. Oh no! And this, uh, I, when I was in Germany, it was very recently. <laughs> so you're right. Different different societies, different cultures have. Uh, a different propensity to uh, to uh, ad- adopt this, uh, and uh, I think that the ones that are going to resist, you see, you know, uh, politics and government seem to be moving much faster than corporations. Uh, you have a lot more women are being have been very successful in politics, and yeah. beca- you know, I think becoming more successful. They're leading countries. They're becoming, uh, you know, uh, uh, significant portions of. Uh, of parliaments and congresses, and uh, if they don't see the progress in business, they will, as I said, they'll declare it a market failure because it doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you do the things that are going to improve your company, right? Why right. are you doing crazy things? Right. Uh, and they'll declare it a market failure, and they'll impose quotas like they just did in Germany. France, by the way, has done the same thing. Yeah. But uh, that's demonstration that the, that there is a failure going on, and. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, we saw what happened in Norway is that people decided they didn't want to do it and delisted their companies. And so yeah. everybody loses. The everybody women, loses. Law, women loses. The men lose. Because being a public company is a better form of governance than a private company for most companies. Not for yeah. all companies, but for most yeah. companies. Uh, and so we all lose as a society. Yeah. So, uh, uh, But I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But all the research shows that this improvement in companies happens regardless of the country. So it happens in the United States. It happens in China, in the private companies in China. It happens in the European countries, happens to Canadian companies uh, and Latin American companies. And there's, I looked at over 60 studies and there was only two studies that didn't conclude that having women uh, in, in, on boards and in management was a superior financial outcome. And in those two studies that didn't say that, uh, one was from Indonesia and one was from South Africa, and their conclusion was it was neutral. Yeah, uh, interesting. So there's really no evidence that says it's not going to improve your company. The way vast majority says it is going to produce improve your company. And so governments are going to conclude that companies are acting irrationally if they don't pursue this. And by the way, not only governments, but what about investors right. and, regu- and regulators? Right. They're they're also looking at this very carefully and saying, yeah. well, why aren't you doing this? Right. 
Right. Very good point. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I do want to explore. You talk a lot about millennials. Let's talk a little bit about that. And then I want to get to, you know, what three things do you want people to take away from this and what three pieces of advice can you give? So let, let's quickly, uh, we have five minutes left. So tell me a little bit about millennials and then let's get to the three things that you want people to take away. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, we all, uh, I teach millennials, and I have two daughters that are uh, in their 20s. And so um, it, it'd be nice to think that millennials are going to solve this problem uh, because they're different. Barbara and I do not believe that's the case. We actually believe after, you know, 10,000 years of civilization and, and socialization that men and, uh, uh, millennials are not really much different than uh, uh, the generations that came before them. I would agree. They are more comfortable working side by side with women, but when you dig down, uh, 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 dig down through the surface, their their opinions are generally basically the same. Particularly, the, I'm talking about the men here, and so um, I think that uh, that's we don't we're not going to be able to rely on just like just give it a bit more time, and old guys like me will die off, and and it'll all be nice. Uh, it, no, it actually that's not what's going to change it. What's going to change it is women continuing to push and continuing to get educated and continuing to get experience and pushing, pushing, pushing. Yes, that's, that's going to continue to happen. But men have to come to the conclusion that they have to participate in this, this solution as well because it's in their interest to do so. And so don't think the millennials are going to solve it. Right. Good point. Three takeaways from this discussion that you'd like people to have. Well, I, I'd like them to, know, uh, to think that uh, men have a very big role to play in improving their companies through embracing gender diversity and actually sponsoring gender diversity. So that's number one. Number two, I think uh, women uh, 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 should continue to push hard and continue to get educated and continue to demand uh, uh, that role because they can help us improve their companies. And I think uh, number three is the last thing we want to do is rely on government to help solve this problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do people get a hold of you, Richard, um, to, to, to get further information on this? Uh, well, I would go through Barbara Annis's website. Barbara Annis uh, has a website, uh, genderintelligence.com. And uh, that's my co-author, Barbara Annis, A-N-N-I-S, uh, genderintelligence.com. And she will, uh, she's the one way to get, get a hold of us. I'm a banker by trade, so I don't have my own website, but Barbara is an expert in this area, so she she would be the person to contact. Okay, great. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us, Richard, and uh, it was a great conversation, and I just love your passion around this topic, and, and I love the fact that you're a practitioner and that you have done this within your own organization and that you could show you know, the proof of why this is is uh, continuing to be such an important issue. And, and let's hope. I mean, I think that things are changing and things are getting better. Um, and I think it will continue to go down that path. So I want to thank men like yourself, who I do believe have uh, made a huge difference. So thank you, Richard. And thank you for joining us today. Okay. Thanks, Linda. We'll talk to you again. Have you on again. Thank so, you. Sign in next week, next Thursday. Morag will be back, and uh, she and I will be um, talking uh, again about another leadership topic that's covered in our book, Future Proof Workplace. And if you haven't gotten a copy, please do so at www 
future-proof workplace, I think you're going to find it's a very interesting read. It's not your usual globalization, technology, demographic shifts. It's really about six specific things that you can do and how you change your organization design, your human resource approach, approaches to people in order to make your organization even more successful today for tomorrow. So thanks for being with us. Hope to talk to you next week. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.